0: Welcome to the second episode of How Should a Man Live? This is the podcast that is almost certain to spawn several cults, and we are your hosts, Reagan Rose
1: and Miska Wilhelmsen.
0: Well, on this podcast, we are seeking to discover really how specifically a man should live in this present life in light of God's created purpose for mankind and the eschatological future that the Bible says awaits us. And in this episode, we are going to look back at creation and attempt to see how we might answer that question, how should a man live, by first asking, why was man made in the first place? So Miska, maybe I'll ask you just a really easy question. What is the purpose of life?
1: Yeah, very easy question to start off the second episode with. What is the purpose of life? Um, obviously that's a question that every single individual should wrestle with and uh, I actually recently even read kind of a secular book on the subject and it was interesting to listen to a person who denies uh, God, denies a creator, denies the scriptures and trying to he was desperately trying to figure out the purpose of life and the conclusion was essentially... That there is no purpose in life, but you just try and make up your own purpose somehow, and uh, which is a sad state of affairs. But biblically, then, as, as Christians, obviously, we, we believe the Bible, uh, we believe it is a word of God. We, we believe there is purpose, and one of the answers to the what is the purpose of life, which I've even taught my own children, is that what is the chief end of man. And that, of course, the question is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the answer to the question then is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So I do believe, you know, that that's a a very good answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? What is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But at the same time, uh, even though we believe that, and that's a very good way to say it, I feel like uh, sometimes in our Christian understanding, Christian worldview, and, and, and even this, or Westminster representing kind of Reformed uh, tradition, that we, we then easily kind of leave it at that. And uh, as we already did in the first episode, we talked about that there's this area of life that seems to be somewhat neglected, especially in our modern times and uh, I think it's just helpful to go back back to the beginning of the book, <laughs> to the beginning of the scriptures and then from there start to build up a little bit more the background or so to say the backbones the skeleton and and flesh out what does that mean What what is the question you know man's chief and is to glorify God well, what does that mean, what does that mean does it so, uh, and, and... And how do we do it?
0: Like, how, how specifically yeah. do I glorify God with my life? Like, what does that look like exactly. in reality? Because it, it is kind of a, a very broad answer to the question. Of course, we should glorify God. Yeah. But then the next question is, okay, how?
1: Yeah. What should I do? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's the whole thing. Like, it's, it's uh, easy to say glorify God with all aspects of your life. Uh, but then the actual outworking and the explanation of all of that can be a little bit more difficult. And I think there's a lot of aspects of life that, you know, people um, they haven't thought through in the framework of how, how do I glorify God in this, this aspect of my life? And some of those things are easier. Okay, you know, I don't do clearly sinful things, you know, therefore I glorify God or i prioritize on spiritually important things therefore i glorify god as we talked in the first episode a little bit but i think it is interesting that genesis and particular first three chapters which lay of course the foundation for everything and tell us that you know god created this world this universe he created us and and, and he defines uh, who we are and our role in creation and our I would say, purpose, also in creation, uh, it's, it's interesting that we easily kind of forget those aspects of what can then be called a creation mandate and other implications from those first few chapters. We begin with the fact that God is our creator. Uh, so we don't try and come up with some kind of purpose of life apart from that truth, but we that's the very foundation we begin with that's where the book begins (laughs) in the beginning and it kind
0: of it kind of narrows things down right from the start like if you know who your creator is you know who your master is you know who who you're responsible to exactly that if you if you if you had a whole bunch of options for what the purpose of life is that just narrowed a bunch of them off now you know who who defines what the purpose of life is because the creator gets to decide what the purpose of his creation is
1: exactly And I think even as Christians, I think we can easily forget this so foundational truth about God being the creator. And uh, because it is so foundational, like with many other things, we start taking things for granted. And obviously God as creator has implications for everything, every aspect of life. And therefore, for sure, it has the greatest impact on even the question, what is the purpose of life and, and what is the meaning of life? But, yeah, I do think it is interesting that uh, when we look at the first three chapters of the Bible, that, you know, as much as I believe in the answer uh, that the purpose of uh, our man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, it is interesting that God doesn't give us an answer to the question in such spiritual language, so to say. He, he gives, he, there's much more detail, much more materiality and earthiness and so forth uh, in his what I would call a uh, definition for the, the meaning of life uh, and specifically the meaning of life for us as humans of course um, so it, I don't know maybe, maybe we should go there at this point uh, to return to the book yeah uh,
0: yeah so you're you're talking Genesis chapter 1 yeah and specifically verses 26 through 28.
1: Yeah, yeah, or yeah, 26 to 28, yeah. Obviously, I mean, before that, you know, God creates light itself. He creates uh, this, this planet and then starts forming it and and uh, the animals and the plants, everything in six literal days, by the way. Yeah, as a side note, <laughs> we, we do believe that God created in the manner that he told us he created in six actual days. But yeah, the focus on us as uh, mankind of the comes in verse 26 and so let me read to you these few verses in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the very uh, essential part here to this question. Then it continues of God gives you know plants to eat and and so forth, and at the end he declares it very good. But I think this is where we need to start in thinking about the purpose of life as as us as creatures, and I think this is the 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 beauty or part of the beauty of uh the the Christian faith uh, the the gospel the reality of the scriptures is that we have something that is true we have a foundation for life and godliness everything and 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 when we think about the purpose of life as I mentioned earlier listening I did it as an audiobook I listened to this audiobook uh, on the meaning of life by the secular guy and it's just like yeah he tried to be positive and so forth but like, if you actually go with the things that he actually said, not just his positive speech after the fact that he said, yes, there's no ultimate meaning, but, you know. So it's like complete, you know, hopelessness. And it's just like desperate attempts of ungodly men and women who deny the Creator and deny the, the, the truthfulness of His Word. So as believers, you know, this is our foundation and we can, we, we can go back to it and figure things out. Uh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, it it's a, uh, for Christians, like you were saying, it's one of those things that it's just a remarkable blessing to know who I am and why I'm here. Yeah. Like, I think we just forget and take it for granted. But most of the world has no idea why they're here. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what, what their purpose is. They don't know God. Like, life is just totally and literally meaningless to them. And they're trying to define their own meaning. And that is... Of course, there's so much hopelessness and depression, mm. but thankfully we have answers to those things. And I think that what you and I, as we've been digging in, is the answers to some of these things about purpose and why we're here are actually remarkably more specific in the scripture yeah. than uh, than even we the general terms that we tend to talk about in evangelicalism. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, notice here, this is where God creates man and, and male and female, he creates mankind in his image, Adam and Eve. And uh, he gives this basically purpose statement, you know, the the purpose and 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 the kind of the the task he gives to them. And you know, if you if you make something and you make something with a certain task, that is that object <laughs> purpose essentially you know so if if you know i create a certain kind of tool uh to be used in a certain kind of thing you know whatever that tool is mm-hmm. is meant for that 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 uh, work that that tool does is at the very core of its purpose um right and uh, so yeah, it's interesting that God gives these very specific things because again, get back to the whole answer. Uh, the purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay, that kind of statement alone could be true, uh, true uh, in uh, like different kind of um, existences, so to say, or you know, if you tell, like hypothetical universes or non-universes. You know, that that statement alone could be in a world where there is no land, you know, maybe there's just like floating spirits in the air and they just glorify God. You know, So I don't know, I'm just talking like hypothetically now. But that's what, you know, we're trying to get back to how like how specific does God give us specific, like why did he create actually an earth? Why didn't he just, you know, make us some kind of floating spirit beings and and that way we glorify God? But he didn't do that, he didn't. He created a material existence, a, a, an mm-hmm. earth, a planet, and he prepared it carefully in those six days. You see the, the, the focus, uh, that how he uh, takes um, uh, care, so to say, to prepare this uh, earth for then the crowning jewel of his creation, which comes then on, on the sixth day, of course. Uh, uh, man and woman in his image. And so he gives this and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So I do think that according to the book that we believe in, the scriptures, (laughs) if you want to kind of look for the closest thing that comes to, especially in the beginning of the book where you would expect the definition of for life itself, where we're told how life came about and how God created everything. If you want to look for a purpose statement for the existence of mankind and, and what they are about to, to, to do, uh, and then there in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion. You know, I think that's where you have it. And of course, not to somehow then wrongly take that out of context. Because the, 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 I think the misunderstanding is like, oh, okay, so if a person just, like, if, a, you know, the, the secular guy who wrote the book about the meaning of life, if he just does some of these things, you know, okay, you know, have dominion, you know, do this livestock, or, or, you know, something like that, that then he is glorifying God. No, he's missing the essential aspect, of course, of doing that in a right relationship to the creator you
0: know, right right and i mean yeah, and i think and i think that gets into the anthony hokuma's book mm, in the image uh created in god's image yeah, right yeah like he he talks about this and this this segment of scripture just um if people aren't familiar with this this is variously called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate it
1: has other yeah, names dominion mandate too. yeah the, i think those three at least yeah right
0: right and a mandate of course is is a is a is a command or a charge to to go and do something and that's that is how it's worded mm. at least in you know verse 28 yeah. god said to them yeah. be fruitful be multiply fill the earth subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea birds of the air etcetera et cetera. like yeah. basically rule and reign and and cultivate this creation that i've i've given you i don't know if we'll get into it but there, there's two words there the dominion and uh and subdue yeah. and they they're about ruling over and about cultivating and caring for mm-hmm. the creation. Yeah. So Exactly. Man man is basically made a tiny uh a tiny prince or a tiny king under God's authority to rule over the created uh realm of earth, yeah. right? I mean that's that's the charge and to take care of it. Yeah. And Hokama in his book Created in the Image of God, he he kind of breaks down this uh segment here verses 26 through 28 and he calls it man's threefold relationship and i think that that's what you're you were getting at is yeah. it, it's not just about oh oh excellent so farmers are fulfilling the purpose of god in the world <laughs> yeah, regardless yeah. of their relationship to god yeah, right yeah.
1: exactly <laughs>
0: um so, so what are the what are the three relationships that hokuma sees in this passage
1: yeah i think it's helpful uh, and uh, what what he uh, how he breaks it down and like you said he Anthony Hokema he in his book created in God's image he gives this threefold relationship that like mankind has been created in a threefold relationship and the first one is our relationship to God so our our creator and then the second one uh, our fellow uh, fellow man so fellow image bearers, you know, men and women that God have created. So, and then uh, the last one, our relationship to nature, or we could call the, you know, rest of creation. So animals, plants, uh, the land, everything else that God has made. And I think that's a very helpful and, uh, and I was very biblical, but also very helpful kind of division, threefold division. And I, as I was thinking through this also, I think it even... Kind of visualizing in my mind and you know writing down like these kind of three arrows that there's one arrow pointing upward, our relationship with our Maker, our God, and then one arrow pointing sideways, both way both ways sideways and to our fellow man, you know. So uh, d- different relationships, whether it's from the family to the church to unbelievers and the world at ro- humanity at large, um, and then kind of one arrow pointing downwards in, in, in to, to the land, to the animals and the plants and all that. So, yeah, I think it's just a very helpful thing. And actually, uh, maybe it'll be good. Uh, there's a good quote by Hokema in his book, and he, he says this, that God has placed man into a threefold relationship between man and God, between man and his fellow men, and between man and nature. The references to God's creation of man to God's blessing of man and to the mandate given him by God indicate the primary relationship in which man stands, his relationship to God. Man's relationship to his fellow men is indicated in the words male and female he created them. And our relationship to nature is alluded to in God's giving us dominion over the earth. So exactly like like you were saying you know he this is based on Genesis 1 and verses 26 to 28 in particular and in all of that the primary one is first of all of course about god he's the he's the creator who's defined everything so so a person who might think well i'm being good toward my fellow man and i'm even treating and you know subduing and having dominion over the creation in a good way but if you are walking as an enemy, as a rebel against God, without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that—that's the only way we'll be be we saved. Because of our sin, we need Him. If you're walking as a rebel against God, you know, t- all the other stuff are useless. It's—it's it's useless. But at the same time, in our Christian circles, we forgot. I think, especially the third part, like we, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <and> the, the- <laughs> well, you hear you
0: hear people talk about. I mean, it's a very common thing to hear um, pastors and stuff talk about. You have your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with others. Yeah. And so I love you, the way that you, you illustrated it is you have the vertical, horizontal, and the downward. Yeah. And I think that anybody who's who's who pictures that or who's, who's reading this and thinking about it is like, oh, yeah, I mean, which one of those three is the most neglected? Yeah. Well, it's the downward one. Yeah. But I think the irony is, as you read this passage... You have to infer the first three. Like it's there, like the relationship with God is is it's there, it's obvious. And the relationship with fellow man is there in, in you know, um being fruitful and multiplying and relating um you know to the opposite sex for uh but the definitely the emphasis is placed on the downward relationship of man under God's authority cultivating the creation. Yeah and that is that's what's so funny about it is it's so that is the, the, the main thrust of this passage mm-hmm. is about what you're supposed to do with this planet I yeah. gave you.
1: Yeah.
0: And of course, you, you know, like as you carry on through, I, you know, it's setting up for man in, in chapter three, ending up in enmity against the creation because he becomes an, en, his enmity towards God okay. and rebelling and sinning. Yeah. But I, I think it's just, It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating that it's so emphasized that man has a relationship with the creation from the start. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that God chooses to emphasize in the very first chapter of the book and saying, okay, here is what man was made to do. Yeah. And yeah, we miss it.
1: Uh, Exactly. And that comes back to the whole thing we we were even in the last episode talking about, like the Platonic influence on Christianity or the, what Randy Alcorn kind of refers to as Christo-Platonism and this this idea that there is something wrong with material things in and of themselves not just some obviously sinful things are sinful and wrong and but and we live in a sin-cursed world fallen world but this platonic idea that the spiritual things good material things bad and I think that's why even in our, uh, like, very theologically sound Christian circles, we've kind of been subtly influenced by this Platonic thinking. And that's why we forgot the third relationship that Hokema talks about. And I think Francis Schaeffer, you know, he, he wrote on this topic also and the influence of Platonism, into uh, Christian thinking, and uh, let me just give you a quote because I thought it's very helpful the way he kind of outlines it. He says, Any Christianity that rests upon a dichotomy, some sort of platonic concept, simply does not have an answer to nature. And we must say with tears that much orthodoxy, much evangelical Christianity is rooted in a platonic concept wherein the only interest is in the upper story, in the heavenly things only, in saving the soul and getting it to heaven. In this platonic concept, even though orthodox and evangelical terminology is used, there is little or no interest in the proper pleasures of the body or the proper uses of the intellect. In such a Christianity, there is a strong tendency to see nothing in nature beyond its use as one of the classical proofs of God's existence. And, you know, then he says, this like, you know, look at nature, we are told, look at the Alps, God must have made them. And that is the end. Like, that, that's where it kind of ends for most of it. And then he says, nature has become merely an academic proof of the existence of the creator with little value in itself. Christians of this outlook do not show an interest in nature itself. And uh, yeah, but I think that's very, very good what uh, Francis Schaeffer, you know, wrote regarding this subject and um, yeah, this platonic thinking. And, <laughs> and that, like you said, you know, we, we think about the horizontal and the vertical, but we forget the third one. And the third one pretty much only comes into play as some kind of apologic, apologetical tool, you know, like he says, look at the Alps, God made them. But then after that, uh, like actual, like... Uh, uh, yeah.
0: Don't you want to go to heaven when you die? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to leave this earth and yeah. go to heaven when you die? Yeah, yeah. Look
1: at those Alps. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, then it's just all about just spiritual <laughs> things. But he, but even in the present, like we've been, you know, the, this whole podcast, like how, how should all of this... This, this understanding of the beginning of the story, the creation itself, how should that affect us in the present? And how, how, how does the under, right understanding of creation and the beginning, how should that also, uh, how, how is that connected to a right understanding of the end? You know, eschatology, and the, you know, there's these terms, whatever, protologies of the beginning, and then eschatology, and... Uh, even in the, uh, the the biblical doctrine book by MacArthur and Mayhew there in the section on eschatology it's it's helpful when it talks about new creation eschatology says that new creation model which is the thing that emphasizes the materiality of the new heavens new earth the new creation model also connects eschatology and protology eschatology is about last things while protology concerning first thing and then this statement, if one grasps God's original purposes for man and the creation, then one is one is in a better position to grasp what is still to come. And I think that's very helpful and key. Like if we rightly, when we go to the be- beginning of the book, Genesis, and we rightly understand how God defines reality itself, the purpose of life, and what mankind is to be about, you know, the the, the dominion mandate and ruling and subduing the earth for the glory of God, then we'll better understand the future. And I would add even more, if one grasps God's original purposes for man and creation, then one is in a better position to grasp how we are to live in the present.
0: Well, I think for the, the sake of time, we have to deal with what I think will be the first and primary objection if someone's listening to this mm-hmm. they're going to say yes of course that was what adam I and mean, we all agree that's what adam and eve were charged to do yeah. but doesn't the fall change that yeah. and so it, you know move, moving through genesis right you get to uh on the way to genesis 3 you, you stop by genesis two fifteen, and it kind of emphasizes again what man's role in the garden was yeah the so genesis two fifteen says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, and it's it we can't get into it. But even those words there, to work and to keep, And it, work there is evad, which is uh, basically to serve it or to, to cultivate it. It's a very um, relational term between man and the creation. Yeah. Um, but then right after that it talks about, okay, you can eat of every tree of the the garden, but you can't eat of this one, and then we know the old old story. Uh, Eve and then Adam do eat of the tree that's forbidden. And then there's the fall and with the fall of man where, where we've sinned against God and we are, so you thinking in terms of that threefold relationship, we um, break relationship with God, which has a cascading effect towards our relationship with our fellow man, the second uh, of the threefold relationship. And through the curse, it has a, a, a effect on, man's relationship to the creation. And that, I think we all kind of know that from Genesis 3, but I think one of the things as we were talking about that's interesting about the curse is when God pronounces the curse on man and woman, all of the things that he curses are the things that uh, he charged them to do in the creation mandate. Mm-hmm. So, right, he 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 told them to be fr- fruitful and multiply. Well, the woman's going to have greater pain in childbearing. Um, he even there's even a curse between the relational aspect of the two of them, where the where the woman her desire is going to be for the husband, but he will rule over her. And for the man, it's even clearer. You know, he was supposed to work and keep the land. Well, yeah, you now you still got to do that, but it's going to be thistles and thorns and the sweat of your brow that's going to make you do it. There's going to be pain. In pain, you will eat all the days of your life, and. What's fascinating about that is you like, what are the, like, I honestly, until we'd started thinking about this, I never really thought about why the curse was those specific things. I yeah. thought it was just kind of like God was like, okay, so what are some bad things I can do to them to kind of punish them yeah, right, yeah, to yeah. mankind? <laughs> but he cursed our, our relationship to the creation and to each other. But again, the emphasis here is on the curse of the relationship of man, his relationship between man and the world. That is part of the, the curse. And so the question is, okay, that relationship is cursed. Does that therefore imply that that original charge, that original mandate is now abrogated, that it's canceled? Now we're just kind of like waiting for, well, when God reconciles all things and there's a new heaven and new earth, then that thing will be back in effect. Right? Like that's the big question. Yeah. Does the creation of mandate still apply even under the curse?
1: Yeah. And like that could be the case you know, that could be the case, but the, the the great thing is, of course, we have answers from the word of God, and we have the answer, which is, no, it's not canceled, it continues, uh, it, it continues after the curse, and you see it in multiple places, you, you see it even um, in uh, G- Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, so this is after the fall, this is when Adam and Eve are uh, taken out of the garden. It says, Genesis 3, chapter 20, or uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And uh, so there already, like, it's kind of part of what God defines, you know, him him to go and do. And then later on, you know, we have like Psalm 8, you know, in the book of Psalms, which is way past. There's, I mean, it's a beautiful, the, the whole Psalm, but specifically, uh, maybe, uh, well, reading from uh, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the Son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. And then verse 6 you have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths of the seas um and so there there we have what you know is is a uh, clear uh, reaffirmation of the, you know, the essential aspects of the dominion mandate, the creation mandate, whatever you want to refer it to, that we have in in Genesis chapter 1. And they're restated uh, even in the book of Psalms. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I don't think it's just like, it's not even just that, oh, we don't have anything saying that it has stopped. So it's like an argument from silence. Mm -hmm. No, we have actual, like, you know, Places uh, that are clearly restating it in in different ways. So. Yeah,
0: and I think even uh, in Genesis nine in the Noah Oh covenant, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Right, yeah, the, I'm
1: glad you pointed out. I, I jumped over that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. He he. God reaffirms. Yeah, you flip to it there. While I'm. i yeah. While I'll, I'll set it up for you. <laughs> God reaffirms the um the the relationship between man in nature and God in nature even because what's interesting about the Noahic covenant um, that I think is unique about it is God actually makes the covenant, not just with man, but with all the earth. It even says all flesh several times and it's a covenant between God and the earth. And it sets up the, the, the foundation of a reliable creation whereby man can, can, can understand that I can still have a relationship with creation because you can understand coming off the ark. and you're like, okay, everything's topsy turvy. Like yeah. maybe the sun won't come up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Maybe the crops won't grow. Maybe, maybe everything's just totally out of balance now because I can't, nothing's predictable. And God says, no, I, the creation, even though it's fallen, even though it's cursed, I, I, I am still going to make things progress normally and reliably so that you can have a relationship. I think that's what's implied. You can have a relationship with the creation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, go go ahead and, and grab. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can go from there. <laughs> yeah, You're no. you looking at the passage. Yeah, of
1: course. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I That this is. This is foundational, you know, and like the Noahic Covenant is foundation. It's the first explicitly, you know, it's the first explicitly biblical covenant in the whole issue. Then are there, you know, covenants of creation and so forth? Uh, but it's yeah, called a covenant. Yeah, but, it's the first but, time but, something's called a yeah, covenant. exactly. This is the first explicitly clear covenant in Scripture, which obviously that itself makes it, you know, significant and lays the groundwork for all of rest, all of the rest of salvific history and and uh, and the other covenants. But yeah, like you said, I, it is very inter- interesting that he actually makes it with uh, all mankind first of all. So it's not just with a particular group like, you know, Abraham's descendants or, you know, with Israel or something like or something like that, but this is with all 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 of the earth, uh, all, all all mankind. And I believe, you know, it's in full effect still today. You know, the Noah covenant hasn't ended, you know. That's why we still see rainbows, you know, the sign of the covenant and... Uh, all the implications of that covenant are still in effect. And that's why I can, as a believer, I can eat meat with a clean conscience, <laughs> you know, because that's right uh, like that, that's the w- w- wrong thing. You then, you know, if you're secular mindset, you know, and you're thinking, oh, well, how do I take care of creation? You know, like, oh, I can't kill an animal because that would be, you know, cruel, you know, and, and all that. Uh, and death... Came after the fall. Of course, Adam and Eve didn't eat some animals before the fall, but they actually didn't even eat them until the Noah covenant. You know, so that mm-hmm. that's when God gives right. meat. So yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, the main thing, like you said, it's the actual creation mandate restated: be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly, and you know, have dominion. And yeah,
0: that's verse one, by the way. Oh yeah, to listeners. Yeah, nine verse one. And then repeat yeah, it he, again. Yeah, he explicitly even. tips him off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We're talking over each other. Go
1: ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, verse one. <laughs> I'm just and excited. Verse seven. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, but it, it's interesting. He says it twice in that chapter. God says it twice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in verse one and verse seven be fruitful and multiple. Uh, and the implications that animals now, you know, there's a the fear that God has put in animals because because the the fall of man and rebellion against God, like you were saying earlier, you know, it's affected all of life, uh, and 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 our, our work, uh, childbearing, and it's affected the animal kingdom, you know, and even in Romans eight, you know, where we Paul writes in Romans eight and verse eighteen to twenty five, it talks about how, you know, the creation is groaning, you know, it's been subjected to futility, uh, and so, and we await for the the resurrection of our uh, but bo- the redemption of our bodies and all of the, all of creation is waiting for that so yeah i think yeah the story isn't over and i think that's like the the really
0: the thing that makes i think that animates you and me yeah. about this this like if i if i try to encapsulate it you might be listening to so you like why do you guys care so much about this yeah. well it's just it's an it's an expansive view of what God is doing in history through mankind, mm-hmm. that it that individual salvation through Jesus Christ to be reconciled to Him by faith in Jesus Christ, it it it's, it is the center point and the chief point of history of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. But it's so exciting as a Christian to see how explicitly the Bible talks about how that fits in to man's God's purpose for man with, with this planet and with each other and all of that. And there's this whole area that when, when you start to see it, references to the land, references to, to creatures, references to ruling and reigning, you start to see, wait a minute, this was in here the whole time. And this went from the very beginning seems to be the emphasis is what man was made to do and are, we emphasize rightly the the reconciliation of man to God through Jesus Christ. But that's, that's like the beginning. That's not the end of the story. That's uh, someone, one of these quotes put it, that's the beginning. Yeah. That's the beginning yeah. of it yeah. is because all things will be reconciled to God. And, and you just mentioned Romans eight, like the creation is waiting for that reconciliation for the curse to be lifted. And that is dependent upon man being reconciled to God and his, his sins being, um, being forgiven and wiped away. But Man, it's just—it's so exciting, and to see it here again and again in in, in Genesis all the way through. Yeah. This is what we were made for.
1: Exactly, and and like if you, like you're saying the whole picture, the big picture, and we'll get to this more and more in future episodes. But I, I like this quote from Dr. Michael Vlach. He says the storyline, the storyline after the fall of man in Genesis three will be the process by which God restores man to the kingdom mandate of Genesis 1, uh, 26 to 28. So the storyline, you know, after Genesis 3 and everything that happens, you know, because the fall is what ruined it all, so to say, you know, our rebellion against God, we 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 ruined it, you know because of sin, there's death, there's the curse, everything's harder, every you know there's sickness, there's disease uh, are and first and foremost you know spiritual death on the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall die you know spiritual death, and your body start decaying, so after that is the the process of then you know the covenants uh, and God bringing the Messiah into the world, and then then he 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 came of course uh Two thousand years ago, and one day he will come again, and and he will eventually rule and reign as the conquering lion of Judah, and and he will bring it back. He he will. God is restoring man to the kingdom mandate of Genesis one, like that. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, that, and I think I think we need to
0: Misca just between you and me and anyone listening. I think we need to do an episode on the relationship between what Christ has done mm-hmm. and the restoration of you know what I mean specifically how does the cross play into this because yeah. there are some questions there about how those relate and yeah. is is this a, an immediate result of the atonement or is this a byproduct of man being reconciled to God like there's actually some some debate about that theologically yeah. about how does this relate yeah I, but i think that's a that'll be a worthwhile thing yeah. to talk about in a future yeah. episode
1: well maybe i mean you you gave me the easy question in the beginning about the purpose of life <laughs> you know uh, we've, we've, yeah. we've been... ask me what my favorite
0: color is <laughs> yeah. ask,
1: throw me a softball <laughs> no yeah just, so the, you know get get back to this and maybe like summarize it What well, what do we then say uh, like from what are the implications what 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 does genesis you know we we've been talking about the creation mandate, but how could we maybe even in like bullet points and and such like what is what is the meaning of life and I think you know few things to throw out that like we said, God is our creator, so everything starts from there, and then God created all things and declared it very good, so the material universe is good and right, you know. And we in particular, mankind, we've been created in His image. You know, we're image bearers. We're called to reflect Him. And I think that's the, like, what what does it mean to glorify God? You know, that we're called to reflect Him. We're called to make Him look glorious because He is glorious. And we're called to reflect Him as image-bearers uh, as, uh, as, as well as we can. Uh, we, in a sin-cursed world, you know, and as sinners, you know, it, it will always fall short. Uh, so the future, you know, restoration is when it will be all done perfect and uh, because of Christ's atonement. But what we've been trying to get at, it starts already. You know, we've been in the present, We've already, we're reconciled with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reconciled to Him. And uh, we we don't yet see Him face to face, but it started already, the reality has started already. And then, because we're reconciled with Him, it brings uh, implications and it changes the way we act against our fellow men. You know, whether Mm -hmm. whether it's within the immediate family, you know, husband gets converted. Now he treats his wife differently because he's Mm -hmm. been reconciled with God. He now has a a real purpose and and, uh, how he should live and so forth. But like we said in the beginning, that's where often it ends. And we forget the third aspect, which is very explicit in Genesis and uh, the Mm -hmm. rest of creation. Uh, and uh, that's yeah. of course where m- much of our actual life, daily life, is connected to. You know, we we eat stuff that has mm-hmm. been grown <laughs> in in this earth. You know, mm-hmm. we we eat p- plants, we eat animals. Uh, because of uh, of Gen- uh, Genesis nine, in Noah covenant, we're allowed to do that. But and uh, and then, then just how how these things affect. Our, our, our daily life and how that connects to the purpose of life. It, it's the massive implications. And, and, I, and, you know, that's, again, that's
0: like basically all of that stuff, the specifics yeah. of that is what we're we're trying to explore. And I think that, you know, to be honest, we're, we're early in our thinking on it. But I think that there's some obvious implications right off the bat. And so if, what, why why was man originally made? A relationship with God, relationship with other men, and a relationship with creation. You know, back to Genesis 2.15, to to work, to care for, to cultivate. I think a, a good um, summarizing word is to steward the creation. It was, it was a world made by God for man and handed to man to be a vice regent, to work under God and, and care for that if that has not been abrogated because of the fall or some other reason, then I'm still responsible to have some sort of responsible stewarding relationship with animals and plants and creation. And this is where it I think it gets weird, and we will talk more about this for sure in future episodes. But there is is this where the cults come in? Might... <laughs> Is this where well, the cults coming in you mentioned at the introduction? <laughs> well, the the cult of environmentalism maybe <laughs> is you have you have these, and it really is uh, a very uh, cultish type muse- movement. Is secular environmentalism is somewhat pantheistic? I yeah, think we would yeah. argue like a worship of the earth, but. I think that some some believers, and I know you think this too, we've reacted against some of the stuff that environmentalists have said because of its pantheistic roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, rightly so, because it's wrong uh, from the base. Yeah. But there's things that they have said that we've rejected that, man, it sure seems like if we're stewards of the creation, we do have some responsibility toward it. And so I think that that comes out even practically in how you, like, so we're allowed to have meat but how do you get that meat right like that this, these are just some of the rubber meets the road stuff yeah. like you know you can't abuse animals right you're supposed to be caring for them yeah. you can't in in uh there there are really specific stuff how all of those things and you know it sounds like hippie christianity but like i'm telling you friends like we're trying to get this from scripture we're, mm-hmm. we're not like trying to fish for it we're just like yeah. wait a minute there's implications if i have to care for this this creation and I have a stewardship responsibility. Doesn't that change how, you know, do, do where I get my meat, where I get my, my vegetables. I'm just trying, I'm not saying that's the only point of all this. No, no, I'm just no. trying to give a really, that there are specific implications that if you embrace this will change your lifestyle and may become somewhat burdensome to you in order for you to fulfill them. I don't know if that's fair to say. If you would agree with that, Miska?
1: Yeah, and I, uh, yeah. I mean, we, I'm sure we we'll get to those more as we even think through these issues ourselves. But I think even more getting to the, like the purpose and the joy of life, the the connectedness to the world that God has created. I think that's even the, like the primary thing. Like in our, in our modern society. You know, especially as you know, where we live in the Western world, uh, we are, for the most part, uh, very you know uh, detached from the basics of life. So, like you know, a few hundred years ago, Christians talking about these kind of issues, they were like, well, of course, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like uh, that, like, of course, we're called to living creation, yeah, I got, you know, animals in my backyard, you know, I whatever have feel, you know. I'm just saying uh, that people lived closer to the reality that God has created and closer to nature, closer to creation. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, people have always misused and misabused because of selfishness and uh, greed. But at the same time, when you live closer to something, you realize it more and then you... It changes your actions when something is just very distant and far away you don't you don't think about it. you just go and you know pick up things from uh, the shop and you might have never seen yeah. a live animal in your life, you know. Right. But I think there's Yeah, and you know what's interesting, like the
0: during we're recording this in the middle of the like COVID nineteen pandemic yeah. and people being stuck at home. I've had so many conversations with people and and just seeing stuff people are posting online. Yeah. About people realizing some people for the first time that hold on a minute, like our relationship with like where food comes from is Really bizarre yeah. when you think about it. When you when you start to question, you never had to question the supply chain because it was always there. Yeah. You could always go in and get get a turkey or whatever you want to get yeah. at the grocery store. But I I have several friends. I have several different friends who have bought chickens yeah. in the middle of all this yeah. because they realized, wait a minute, like I need I need to have. Some closer relationship and and with that I know that I I emphasize kind of the negative stuff Mm. that I was just saying that to To say that when I said it was a burden is that Mm. it To be responsible to this mandate requires action on our part and will probably require us to be a little bit weird Mm. (laughs) You know from what the rest of the world does, but I I completely agree with you Miska that this is so exciting and cool and when you begin to reconnect with that part of my part of the way, one of the main ways that I was created to relate to my God was by doing what He commanded me to do, which was to to take care of th- this world around me and and my fellow man. When I do that, you start to feel a sense of fulfillment, and I, I yeah. would hope that even listening to this, things are clicking for people and they're saying, "Yeah, that that sense of frustration and longing that I feel um, daily." Be- like, that i'm just so disconnected from everything i like what you said we're we're, we're so far mm. from everything from from creation mm. because of technology and mm. i i think the way i picture it in my head is there's nothing wrong with tools or technology i think they're good yeah. things but you know, it, it's like you you started man started using a hoe to hoe the uh, the the garden, mm. and then through technology, the handle of that hoe just got longer and longer and longer. You know what I mean? I'm just using yeah, this as yeah. a as a uh, an illustration, yeah. and we end up seeing so far from the actual work of of cultivation yeah. uh, and and being close to creation that it's like we're not even doing yeah, it. Yeah, we've right never now, seen the field. Not. You know, we've never
1: <laughs> seen the animals. Nothing. You know and And the joy that comes, and yeah, well, I you know we both get so excited about it. we're just tempted to go on and on and on, that's why we do a whole I know podcast. we need to wrap up <laughs> but but there's a really good quote. let me I've been giving quotes here, but there's one quote that was very helpful by Francis Schaefer again, relating to this whole, you know, oh, is this some hippie thing? you know, what should Christians do? Like what yeah. the weirdness of that. Uh, and he helpfully says this, he points out saying, the hippies are right in their desire to be close to nature, even walking in bare feet in order to feel it, but they have no sufficient philosophy and so it drifts into pantheism and soon becomes ugly. But Christians, who should understand the creation principle, have a reason for respecting nature and when they do, it results in benefit to man. Let us be clear. It is not just a pragmatic attitude. There is a basis for it. We treat it with respect because God made it. And like that, that's just getting back to it's it. It's so you know, good. Yeah. Uh, that it, it all... You're
0: glorifying God by doing that. Yeah. that it, how should a man live? You glorify God by even now, even in a cursed world, fulfilling the creation mandate yeah. and ruling and reigning, even in this kind of stilted, crippled fashion that we have to right yeah. now because because of sin and the curse. That That is one of the prime... You were made to do that. Yeah. You were made to do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're not just some floating spirits in a matrix, you know, and that way called to glorify God. We've been created on an actual earth with actual real physical bodies, and that was good mm-hmm. in the beginning it will be good in the end it will be very very good it was very good in the <laughs> beginning very good in the end. and uh, restoration applies to all three aspects or should apply to all three aspects uh, not perfect of oh, that threefold yeah, relationship yeah, three, yeah threefold <laughs> relationship uh yeah so not obviously not perfectly none of those restorations are like full uh in in our present uh um, situation, you know, our our rest- restoration with God is not even final and complete yet. You know, we're we're justified by faith, but that awaits still future. And and uh, with fellow men and women, you know, fellow image bearers, restoration isn't complete. But that doesn't mean like, oh, it doesn't mean how I treat my fellow man because I live in a sin cursed world, and it doesn't matter anyway. You know, one day it will be perfect, but now I'm just gonna be. You know, <laughs> like this arrogant, foolish, you know, sinful man who treats everyone wrong. But that's what we often almost, we wouldn't say that, but that's what we often think about the third aspect. Like, oh, that doesn't matter. It's all just going to burn anyway, right? You know, we we shouldn't. And uh, does scripture teach that? Uh, no, it doesn't seem to. It doesn't seem to.
0: No, I don't think so. There are implications for today. Yeah. Um. We, we need to wrap up because I need to um, wake up my, my own offspring as I am trying to be fruitful and multiply. He should be waking up soon. But there was one more quote that I wanted to share that we had yeah. written down, Miska. And this one is from Johann Hermann Bavink. And I don't understand. You looked this up and it's a different Hermann Bavink than the uh, the famous one, yeah, but yeah. his name is the same. I'm so confused. Yeah, I, mean, he's
1: got, I think he's got the... <laughs> That's what like the J, the beginning, separates him. But I think he's the if I remember rightly, it's the nephew of Hermann Bavink, The, that you know. Gotcha. The...
0: Well, well this quote comes from a a great aptly titled book called Between the Beginning and the End, A Radical Kingdom Vision. And and that really is I love the title of that because that's what we're 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 talking about, is what do you do between the beginning and the end. But this is uh this is a quote from Johann Hermann Bavink. He says We, the human race, are predestined to fulfill a distinctive calling in that history. As humanity, we are assigned an exceptional place in the greater context of the kingdom from the very start. We are simultaneously subjects and to some extent co-rulers, viceroys over certain regions. Not everything is subjected to us. We're not given authority over the course of the stars and the planets or the tides of the never-resting seas. But the earth and its plants and animals have been assigned to us given for us to rule over and for, and to use for God's service to fathom and understand creation's hidden powers. And so to bring to full development, the innate possibilities of creation, that is the meaning of the cultural calling allotted to us immediately after creation. Yeah. End quote. And, and that's, that's what we're getting at is that Part of that, that, that ruling over that having dominion, that subjecting creation in in all its form as, as, uh, creatures, that's still our job. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like now between creation and when, when all those things are restored and perfectly made? And we will do that forever. Mm -hmm. How do we
1: do that today? Mm -hmm. How should a man live?